it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 30 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in the Rambler, I'll be hosting Christian Spears. The name is actually a celebration, you know, it's a, of some Tennessee culture. So we're always trying to celebrate the culture and the heritage and the land in our branding and what we do. And in this case, we wanted to make a great IPA and we wanted to cel- celebrate something historical. And uh, 1927 was the the Bristol Sessions in, um, in Tri-Cities in Bristol, Tennessee. And a guy named Ralph Peer kind of brought some of the folk singers, you know, out uh, of the rural areas and got him into a studio and laid down some tracks. And um, famous people like Jimmy Rogers, uh, the Carter family, um, their careers, all, uh, that was the birth of their careers. And, created really a, this family tree of musicians today with what is now modern country. And Johnny Cash went on record. I think he said it was the big bang of modern country. And so 1927 is a celebration of that. So it applies to our history, our heritage, and also our, our musical culture and the origins. Christian is one of the owners and founders of Tennessee Brew Works. We talk a lot about his story, how they started the business, and also as we sip on a few brews, we talk about the stories behind the beers, or I should say behind the craft beers. It was a great time hanging out with him, and I know you will get a lot out of this interview um, as much as I did just learning about the process of coming up with an excellent craft beer. At the end of the interview, musical guest Granville Automatic will be playing another song. If you missed the interview with them last week, make sure to tune in and check that out. Now sit back and enjoy the interview with Christian Spears. Hello, Nashville. Today I am sitting down with Christian Spears with Tennessee Brew Works. How's it going? Yep. And uh, he's ready to pop open a brew and... Get that. I got that. that. All right, nice. The cool thing is, is I've sat down with some musicians and you hear, you know, all the stories behind their songs. And as I'm sitting here and he's got a couple of uh, brews here, there's a story behind each one of those. And I've never thought about that, you know, because I might just partake in one. So what are we, uh, what are you pouring right now? Well, I've, I, I don't know if you think I've over poured you or not, but you got to finish that to get to the next beer. Okay, that's fine. I'm good. <laughs> I could just, I could, I could sleep here. Yeah, yeah, all right, good, good. Well, um, what I brought with me here today and just poured for you is our state park blonde ale. Um, not exactly a crazy name or anything like that, but what's so unique about this beer is this actually was brewed in partnership with the Tennessee State Parks. Mm. And what's so cool about that is it's the first one of its kind where it's actually got the blessing of a governmental agency. It's actually got the mark of the governmental agency on the bottle. And the face on the bottle is state naturalist Randy Hedgepath. So he's actually part of that organization as well. And the reason they let us do this was we're actually putting a buck from every case back to the State Parks Conservancy. And we write a check once a year. Awesome. And we got all of our wholesalers across the state to participate. And it's pretty unique in nature. And 
we just got done our first year and it was great. It went it was fantastic and we read yeah. a nice big check and uh, I think next year will be even better. Yeah. And we, that's, we that's pretty cool. And now hold on no, do they let you drink those in the state parks? They do. Oh they do. Yeah. So there's I, I believe there's nine parks right now that actually have restaurants where okay. you can buy it. But um, they are advocating um, healthy, responsible okay. con- consumption in the parks. You know, their belief is look, if you're gonna abuse it under any circumstance it can't happen but if it's done responsibly there's an allowance to yeah allowance for that and they're you know the craft beer consumers and it went right. all the way to the top the deputy commissioner um led the charge which he's the highest ranking person there and kind of led the charge and you know we had to put this in front of some some folks in the legislature and get the blessing and it was a pretty big deal yeah um very proud of it and so that was the starting point of this beer and just to take it a step further though uh, it's the first beer that was actually created with all Tennessee grains. So we were able to source our grains from Beatty Farms outside Murfreesboro, if you know who they are. They're mm-hmm. okay. eighth generation family farm. Okay. Um, they uh, they actually got the farm as part of a Revolutionary War military land grant. Mm. And uh, so this is the first of its kind that's made with all Tennessee grains. So, so I, what's the what's the taste? Kind of like explain yeah, it. You're, you're going to get some honeysuckle. You're going to get some biscuity notes. Um, should be very easy drinking though. Four point eight percent. I know you drank an IPA before this. So I don't know how much you're getting in there, but <laughs> no, I can taste it because yeah. it's much. Well, even though that IPA was really smooth, but yeah, this nice. is like even smoother, you know. Yeah. Well, this thanks, man. It's um, this is meant, it smells good too. They actually designed the beer, so they sat down with our team and and they said, well, listen, we want something that's going to get like the macro beer drinkers to enjoy craft beer, but. We want enough complexity that a craft beer drinker will appreciate right. it as well. So we want that sweet spot. Yeah. And so truthfully, we actually went through about four iterations of this beer before we got to this spot, and um, we're extremely happy with it right yeah. now. And that's cool. And you can drink for a good cause. You know, right. You're helping a small local business. You're helping the state parks, and you're helping the local farmer. Right. So I like it. You know, it's I the like right it. thing to do. Yes. Drink this beer. I like it. All right. Cool. Well, so um, give us a brief overview about what you do which obviously you make beer but yeah yeah well there's you know people say you know talk about microbreweries and they kind of lump them all together but there's a lot of different characters um you know characterizations of that um you have brew pubs you have production breweries you know i almost call some breweries almost like boutique breweries Mm -hmm. um we're what you'd call a production brewery, but we're still in the micro range. Micro is, you know, about size. And you get up to um, a certain size, you turn into a regional brewery. Okay. But the way we're set up is we set up to create beer so that we could send it elsewhere to put it in stores, restaurants, bars, you know, uh, and stores could be convenience stores or grocery stores. But the idea is that we could send it out so that you can take it and bring it back to your house or enjoy over a meal at your favorite restaurant. Right. Uh, what has happened... Um, kind of organically, is that when we set up a tap room, so you can come by and try the beer at the source, we need a little bit of food. So we started calling on food trucks to come over and have food available. And we were a young business. No one knew who we were. And so we had to find ways to entice the food trucks to show up. Mm. So eventually, through need, we created our own kitchen. 
and coincidentally, we're right next door to Tomcats. If yep. you know, like the I, Southern, I, you know, this I used to um, sell commercial trucks for real estate, and I called on them. Yeah, yeah. And, well, they never bought anything from me, but they well, really they seem pretty cool. Yeah, we got to know their catering chef pretty <laughs> catering, well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, they do lots of movie sets and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I think they did Lord of the Rings. You know, oh for, really? Yeah, wow. they, they do some big stuff. And uh, our one of our managers was taking the garbage out while their catering chef was taking out the garbage and. Um, and he's like, what, what do you guys got going on over there? Because he couldn't tell at first from the outside. And we told him, making beer. And next thing you know, he's hopping in all the time with, you know, brisket. And oh, we, give yeah. him, we give him some beer to go, of course. And, mm-hmm. and we became friends. And he said, you know, I'll help you design a kitchen. And we're not restaurateurs. Yeah. We're manufacturers. And uh, that kind of morphed into something more where he eventually said, you know what? I want to lead the charge. And next thing you know, we have a chef-driven tap room. Wow. So we went from having food trucks that maybe weren't showing up right. all the time right. to... And a little higher price probably than what you could do in-house too, right? Yeah. And well, I mean, they were taking all the money. We, oh, were, right. yeah, we were just keeping it responsible yeah. or offering food. Next thing you know, we're on Food Paradise on the Travel Channel wow. for our beer and food pairings. You know, next thing you know, we're, you know, Nashville Lifestyles has us featured for one of the best burgers in Nashville. That is you know, so it's, cool. we have a five beer burger, you know, and and so. And I uh, didn't even know that. Yeah. Right now I know where my next burger is going to come yeah, from. Yeah. That, um, it'll get you there. It's a good one. And, and, and it really does incorporate five of our beers into the recipe, including beer bread buns and, you know, uh, a ketchup made with our Saison and on and on. So that's so cool. Yeah. Which I love just in that, you know, I was talking to Brian there while I was waiting on you. I was waiting on Christian and he texts me and he says, Hey, where are you at? So, you know, it's funny as when you called me, and you're asking where I'm at. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I at the right brewery? Like, I thought, <laughs> what if I just showed up and I thought I was supposed to be at this one? And I looked on Facebook. I'm like, no, I'm at the right one. And uh, he's like, well, I'm at the Rambler. And I'm like, is that a restaurant? Anyways, <laughs> I call I call the and camper the Rambler. So he had driven. 10, mi- 10 minutes probably yeah. to go to the Rambler when he was actually at the same spot I was. Yeah. So. so anyways, it was pretty funny. But and, I was and, talking and to her. Unfortunately, the staff all knew what happened. Yes. So they were all texting me and calling me, making fun. Like, so. what? Yeah. But, um, but what was cool was talking to Bree, and she was just talking about just when she moved here from California, mm-hmm. just how that sense of community, you know, and how everybody's really here to help each other out. And just in that, you know, I mean, you got two people taking out the trash, and next thing you know, you're featured because of your food whenever your focus was um, was beer. Yeah. You know, but yet because y'all wanted to help each other out, they want to help you out. And there you go. There's a lot That's of cool. there's a lot of town oozing in this town. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. We were just talking about, you know, you ran into Bree, but talking about all the musicians that are just in our tap room right this very second mm-hmm. serving the pints. Uh, I was talking about uh, Tommy Cypress, who was, you know, playing with Aaron Lee Tazjian and and he was kegging and bottling our beer and, and yeah. one day he's like hey guys i'm, I'm playing uh the ryman yeah. and so we're like next thing you know our whole brew team is sitting in the in the stands of the ryman watching him play and then the next time we see him we're high-fiving him he's right. like hey uh actually we're doing bonnaroo next wow and then he got yeah i, got, I think i told you they got poached by uh shell crow to yeah. go on the road with them so you know, we lost a great employee, but man, we got to work with him oh, yeah. too. Oh yeah, pretty you're great. You're nothing but happy for him, you know, right? Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into a little bit of your story. Oh yeah. All right, so what did your childhood look like, and who are some people that had a big impact on you during those early years? Well, um, I was I was born and raised in Annapolis, Maryland, originally, 
And I grew up right near the Naval Academy. Um, I wasn't actually, you know, my dad was was Army, but not, um, he, he got drafted to Vietnam and all that. And that's how he ended up in the area and met my mother. So that was my upbringing. Um, I went to school in North Carolina and they called me Yankee. After college, I went up to New York and worked in finance for a while and they called me Southern Boy. So, uh, you know, it took me a little while to figure out the best thing I could do was try to do my best to have no accent whatsoever and everything be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, my, my big influences are definitely my parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've got some awesome parents and they've been together since their early 20s. And wow. my dad's 73 now. And, yeah, that is um, that's awesome in itself. Yeah, to yeah, make it that that and, long. And they're uh, th- they spent a lot of time outside of their jobs doing volunteer work. My mom was just featured for helping this place called Langdon Green develop a whole system for special needs kids to have mm. jobs and and all that. They just do awesome stuff. They are really they really make me feel bad about myself sometimes for not doing more. But we take that and even I think incorporate it into what we do at the brewery mm-hmm. too. We every month we have a different charity we work with and so forth. But they're definitely huge inspirations on me all the way through. And even though what I just mentioned is a commonality between the two of them, they're also very distinct in what they've done with their lives. My mother was a mathematician and I've drawn from that and and my life before the brewery that played a big part of it. You said you were in finances in New York, right? Yeah, I went in New York and London and did a little travel in there um, for the job. And then, and then my father is a small businessman and he has actually an art business and I've been borrowing from him all the time, thoughts and ideas and so forth on how to, you know, keep the lights on in the brewery from the get-go. And, and you know, it's just funny. Him and I can really share some stories about the trials and tribulations of a small business. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. Well, I could say that my dad really enjoyed this too much every <laughs> night. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't able to have some of those experiences, even though I read a letter from him the other day and, and how, you know, he was, was caught up in abusing that. But uh, yeah. the um, the encouragement that he did give, you know, sometimes even like, I love parks. And it was because we always went to a park, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's cool, though. Um, just because you are, are giving back through, obviously, this uh, doing the brewery with even the park itself, you know. That's yeah, it all plays in. It's just a mindset that, you know, we... I'm not the only one here feels this way. A lot of us yeah. feel this way, but the inspiration is definitely on my side coming from them. And yeah. they're, they're still doing it. It's active. I mean, you could pull up the article. It's only a couple of days old about my mother. Now, so how old is um, Tennessee Brew Works? Five years. We just okay. hit our fifth year. Now, so, and you started, you have a partner or are you the... I had. I have a couple of partners. Okay. Um, I used to have an active partner. He dropped out of the first year. Okay. I have, um, I call them silent partners, but mm-hmm. there's nothing silent about them. You know, one of, <laughs> um, yeah. one of them was my best friend. Okay. You know, and he and uh, if I was to give a second layer of inspiration, he's helped me get through this. You know, he's uh, he's the idea guy that gets no credit for it. You know, he's a doctor. You know, he's not even uh, he's not even, um, you know, here day to day and stuff like that. But, man, if I need to bounce an idea off somebody, I know I'm going to get the real deal from him. And yeah. And he's out there, you know, as an unsung hero for our organization all the time. But yeah. he, but there's a few of them, but he's the one I talk to all the time. But there's a few of those guys who have been cool. great. All right. So what were some moments during your teen years that helped mold you and prepare you for being an adult? Oh, man, that's a that's a hard one. I, I It can go anywhere from you could point to things like athletics. You could point to, you know, I, I think one of the things that's prepared me for Tennessee Brewworks um, which is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And um, if you we spend time talking through my career, you 
that might surprise you. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting a small business from scratch is incredibly difficult, and there's so many things that you can't foresee. But I think the things that have taught me the most lessons have been things I've failed at, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, been been very wrong at, and learned how to get back on my feet. And uh, taken that from my teen years, like I said, athletics is an easy thing to point to, but right. there's so many other things that... that Were went. you pretty heavily involved in athletics as a kid? Or, I mean, uh, in your teens? To some degree, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, education was very important to my family, and so they kind of beat it into me. And um, there was a point in time where I thought music might be mm-hmm. something okay. to do, too. I scared to admit that I play piano okay. in Nashville because... But you know, you know what? I, I, wonder what, I wonder what the percentage would be, because I, as many of that I've interviewed... Piano was the beginning, and most of them say that's just a great fundamental thing to get you understanding music. So, well, I don't like to admit to it because right. the person playing the triangle in a band in Nashville could play the piano better than me. I mean, okay. everyone's okay. just amazing. You can play like chopsticks or drum. I mean, I know the theory. Yeah. You know, I actually took a little theory in college too. You know, but um, but anyway, the you know just kind of building on that. You know, I figured out at some point there how important the education was mm-hmm. and. Um, and I got that in the right spot too. And, uh, so I've got, I think I've got some good tools that have helped me survive here as well, but, but taking it all the way back to my family and watching my dad struggle with a small business and keep it going and get it to where it is today. Yeah. Armed me in ways I didn't realize until now. So, and even on that note, as you know, I have three boys and thinking about, you know, you can just, I could just go through life and they can either learn from me through, even my struggles in yeah. being in real estate, really being a small business, you know, um, or I can communicate throughout it. So how much, you know, I guess, did you learn through your dad? Did he communicate? Did you just see it by observation or like, how did you learn from it in those years? It's a little bit of a balance, you know, um, we'd have ups and downs and mm-hmm. of course you could see the stresses, but he's a bit of a communicator though, um, for the most part. And you know, it's just one of those things. We're we're all sponges when we're children, and scary. And it's scary. Very. It's scary. <laughs> you know, you have children, so yes. they repeat things back to you, and you, you're wondering if they even know what that means. But it made sense too. Um, but we're all sponges, and and you get older, and you have this moment where it all kind of clicks what was really happening, mm-hmm. um, what what was, and, and how it applies to some stress you're going through now and or some moment you're having in your life and there's a lot of that's occurred because again relating back to his path in life and where and my current path Mm -hmm. with with a business that's young yeah and uh it's just been incredibly helpful and also allowed him and i to even get closer as we get older Mm -hmm. yeah you know because we can have these conversations uh on the same level for the first time right right that's cool all right, so talk to me about the years you probably experienced the game known as the Carolina. What was your major? How did college set you up for the future? And what advice would you give to get the most out of college? Um, well, I absolutely loved University of North Carolina. Um, I, I, that was the most amazing experience for me. I drank the Kool-Aid, and, uh, and I continue to do so to this mm-hmm. day. It was everything I ever wanted in the sense that they had very strong academics, people really took that seriously and I was luckily surrounded by people who did you know it's a big enough school where you could probably have found somebody with an interest no matter how how wide-ranging your interests were right and I met my best friend there you know it helped me uh, figure out how to think you know it helped me develop my my thinking and open up um, possibilities mm-hmm. that uh, led to my next steps and so forth but 
you throw that in there and combine it with you know a good basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was great. And people wonder how, you know, Marhead Brewer always makes fun of me when Carolina basketball comes on and there's a Duke game on and I lose my mind. He does not understand it. He's a Colorado guy. Right, right. You know, he's like, they're not athletes. You know, somebody who rock climbs is a real athlete, you know. (laughs) That's too funny. He says that all the time. But I kind of explained it out one time. I just went play by play how the buildup happens, mm-hmm. and then, and then if we win, that you know you'll be on Franklin Street, which is like the main street there, and you'll run into your professor with a stein of beer, you know, and and everyone's just so happy and right. community so great, and and then the next day that they won't officially cancel class, but you know we'll all go get pizza right. somewhere, you know it's fine. It's and about the experience. Right? Creates this incredible experience of camaraderie and community, and draws us together. And maybe you get brainwashed a little bit because 10 years later, you're looking to do the exact same thing, you know, whenever we play Duke, you know, and win. Yeah. You're like, where do I got to be around other Carolina people? You know, I need to go celebrate this win. And, and, um, that that prepared me for the next level, the next step in life, steps in life. I think more, not just, like I said, learning how to think and understanding opportunities, but the last part is about understanding the importance of community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that is applied again to where I work right now. When we started, there's a couple of us, you know, there was this, we had, uh, we had an empty slate, you know, we were a clean palette and we, we could build anything we wanted. And so you take from these experiences and you try to put them together and create this community that makes you want to come to work every day. Yeah, it's hard work and so forth, but maybe it feels a little bit less like mm-hmm. work and more like a life ambition, life goal. Right. And uh, and creates passion and inspiration. Yeah. So I draw from that side of my experience in Carolina and apply it to Tennessee Brew Works. And, uh, and I think we're getting there. Yeah. I'm starting to feel it more and more every day. Yeah, it's still really hard. You're asking so much from people. You're asking to leave a pint of blood at the door every day when they come in, mm-hmm. but um, but they believe mm-hmm. and they like being around each other. That's you know, great. It was cool just sitting there waiting on you to get back from the Rambler. Um, I could see you know high fives and you yeah. know just the the atmosphere seemed like this would be a cool place to work. You know, yeah, and, and trust me, like we ask a lot. Yeah. You know, there's, it's kind of one of those places though, if you're not, you're not on board and, and you're not believing and you'll probably leave I don't on think, your own. I, I don't think. You'll just leave on your own. And you're probably <laughs> the type, you probably got some grace, but you probably don't, won't put up with a bunch of BS either, would you? It's not even philosophical. It's just like, hey, we need this done, <clears throat> you know, are you on, you on board? Right. You know, can, set expectations. Do you understand? And and again, when it gets to, it doesn't get to me. It it, it usually the, their coworkers will peer them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll peer them out. You know, right. like hey, listen, right, we right. we believe in this. You know, yeah. we 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 want great things, and we want this community. And you know, and and they'll they'll make yeah. it known their expectations from their coworkers. You don't even have to do it. Yeah, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, look, that's you got to be willing to do it yourself too. Right. Right. You know, you got to be willing to. All right, so I got another. Um, actually, this will be a great time to, crack you wanna, yeah, crack up, open the other one. I'll ask you this question, and we're we're drinking not a full beer, not that it really matters. I but poured, I poured <laughs> probably more than you wish I did the first time. But, uh, that was know. I liked it. That was that was nice. That's that's I could see the mix because a lot you know there's a lot of people that don't like, don't like IPAs too hoppy. I don't like the hops. I like, but then like, and I couldn't imagine being in college. Because, all right, so when did craft beer become, like, really kind of getting popular? Like, at what year? 
Well, I mean, that's a it, you know, it depends who you're asking, because there's been like three. I see it as like three major movements in my lifetime. The first one where I really participated, it's a seven and a half percent beer, by okay. the way. Okay. <laughs> so just be aware. And this is the night. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the one I just had, right? Um, yes, I think you okay. had that in the bar. Yeah, yeah. we'll get that in a second. Okay. But um, the, the uh, I got involved in, in North Carolina probably about '94, and uh, I was I bartended at a place called Hams mm-hmm. on uh, on Franklin Street, and craft beer was having a bit of a boom. Uh, some people might remember a beer called Pete's Wicked Ale. That was like my go-to drink. It doesn't even exist anymore. Okay, Sierra Nevada was around. You need- yep. Some of the names you still see today survive that period because there was a purge too. You know there was. There was a lot of bad beer that was made. And that was in well. what years around? Mid-90s. Okay. Early mid-90s. Okay. And, and then that all went away. I moved up to New York, and it was just uh, lots of options, lots of opportunity. Try some really great Belgian beers. A place called Belgo we used to go to all the time. A place called Blind Tiger. And you just didn't have access to this stuff, and it's just amazing. And then I actually got sent to London for my job, and I started learning about the English styles, English ales, the ESBs, the bitters. Um, and <clears throat> it really opened my eyes mm. to the possibilities. And um, and I, I came back and to New York. There was still stuff there, but the London experience was really yeah. next level. And then I moved back down south. And wah, wah, wah. Right, right. There's right. nothing. Yeah. And um, then my buddy was homebrewing. And okay. that was the beginning. That was the seed. But crap beer got popular. There was a there was a time before that as well, but in the mid mid nineties it disappeared. The the not for the not entirely, but the breweries that kind of survived that period are the big names you know today. Okay. And uh, and then when I was in in Charlotte it, it definitely had already taken hold. You know, I always had a fat tire in my fridge. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Charlotte afterward, after New York. And then I'd always have some left-hand milk stout in there. And I had the stepping stones to what got to today. But homebrewing is what led to Tennessee Brewers because I was coming over to Tennessee, hanging out with my buddy in Nashville all the time. And there was nothing. You just had to homebrew mm-hmm. if you wanted something special. Really? Yeah. So I guess it was kind of like, because I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know, styles and clothing and different stuff like that. Like, we're, you know, the South was always further behind. But now with technology and Amazon and everything, you know exactly what's popular wherever immediately, right? So it's probably the same way beer was, right? It just wasn't, you You couldn't get it. Yeah, it just wasn't popular. It was cool up other spaces, but now everybody's like, oh, this is good stuff. Like, you know, the the water you, we used to drink is just not pasty anymore. You know? Well, I mean, laws, um, okay. you know, it certainly can be prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee still celebrates the worst tax in the country. Oh, really? For beer. Oh, really? Um, through a wholesale tax. Oh. Uh, but there, there are good taxes everywhere else, just not beer, huh? We subsidize you. Okay. <laughs> we subsidize those things. Gotcha. Um, and so that kind of, it, it kind of kept people from doing it, mm. you know? So okay. you got this huge barrier to entry, which is this huge tax. You know, it used to be a 17% wholesale tax. That was just on top of the excise taxes, the federal taxes, just to, you know, to sell the beer. And you, had to, you had to pay this, mm. you know, it's a monstrous Why? Were number. Were they trying to just prevent it? Was it more or less because of like the culture, or was it it's just a, because I mean, they wanted to make money? I mean, we just say it's a, we don't. I mean, it's a syntax, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Right. You know, it's a so syntax. The culture. Yeah. And what's what's dangerous about that is, you know, I, look, alcohol 
um, is it can if it's done in excess is, is mm-hmm. not a good thing at all. Right. It needs to be respected mm-hmm. and it needs to be done responsibly. That is very, very important. There's a lot of things where that's true too, but I work in alcohol and it's important mm-hmm. to recognize that. You know, but at the same time, you should remember we are manufacturers. We don't just make alcohol, we're manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And manufacturers are really the backbone of a really solid financial market, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and you think about things that happened back in the 08 crisis and the finances, how, how imperative it was for the U.S. government to protect the auto industries, right? Because right, they're, yeah. they're manufacturers and manufacturers bring in lots of jobs. And even with Tennessee Brewworks, you know, we have a lot of direct employees. If you include our full-time and part-time employees, we have 40 people working mm-hmm. in that building, which is incredible, but that's just scratching the surface. You know, we have um, so many people involved in the chain, mm-hmm. you know, people who come in and work on our equipment, who supply our equipment, right. who distribute the beer, the, the re- all the way down to the retailers. I mean, there's a lot of people right. touched by right. what we do. Yeah. Manufacturers are very, very healthy for a local economy. Yes, agreed. And <clears throat> then now you take this beers that we're making with uh, local grains, and now we're starting to include the farms. Barley, this land, Tennessee land, is wonderful for barley. We could plant it and source it, and we have a history with spirits, and the distilleries could use it, the the breweries could use it, but yet we're buying our barley, and it's coming from Canada, and mm. maybe we can get some from the Dakotas or Idaho, right. but mostly it's Canada and Germany and Belgium. We could be growing it right here. So here we could have this cash crop in our backyard. I mean, you imagine if the auto industries could actually grow their steel in their backyard? I right. mean, that's what it is. For a right. manufacturer, we can do that, and we're not. And apply that, and I hope I don't get any trouble for saying this, but the Farmers Bureau, one of the strongest lobbies in the state, they won't touch alcohol. Mm. So what's the number one industry in Tennessee? You want to take a guess? Um, Number one industry. Agriculture. Okay. What's the fastest growing industry in the state of Tennessee? I don't know. Breweries. Oh. And we need Mm. what they produce. Right. Dairy farms are closing all the time. I heard a number like 70 have closed in the last two years or something like that. They, they've got the land. We need barley. They can plant it and grow it. And the Farm Bureau won't touch us. We are the solution. Yeah. You know, another way to look at it is the number one industry is agriculture. Number two is tourism. Right. And we're both. Right. And um, it, it, we got some things to work out in historical. Um, there's teetotalers um, involved that, like, there's teetotalers all the time who don't drink, but they understand. Right. Right. They understand that it's okay, but that just hasn't happened yet. And so. I think, I, yeah, I think the culture is is shifting, you know, um, especially even whenever, you know, there's some people I know that's like, why do you have to have one? I'm like, because I like the taste of it. You know, yeah. I like the IPAs. Like, um, and college was different. I mean, for me, college, I, again, if we had these high gravity stuff in college, who knows what would have happened? Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have. I probably would have graduated. But it was more there. You were drinking to, you know, to get drunk. You know, and this, then now I don't. That's I drink not to what's have a happening here. Yeah, right. it's, if you come and hang out at our place, mm-hmm. um, it is not a frat party. Right, it's more right. like what you might expect from a wine what, bar. What do people do that in a fraternity? <laughs> <laughs> There's a level of elegance to it. Um, the beer you're drinking right yeah, now. Yeah, so tell me about the 1927. Yeah, this is a seven and a half percent. I'll have to mention that quickly because okay. A Bud Light, it's like 4.2%. Gotcha. The name is actually a celebration, you know, it's of of some Tennessee culture. So we're always trying to celebrate the culture and the heritage and the land in our branding and what we do. Mm -hmm. And in this case, 
you know, IPA, we're not sourcing the hops from here. We're actually not sourcing the grains from here. Um, and, and the yeast is propagated elsewhere as well. Mm-hmm. So um, we wanted to make a great IPA, and we wanted to sell, celebrate something historical. And uh, 1927, the first guess is, is that prohibition? But actually, 1927 was the, the Bristol Sessions in, um, in Tri-Cities in Bristol, Tennessee. Okay. And a guy named Ralph Peer kind of brought some of the folk singers, you know, out uh, of the rural areas and got him into a studio and laid down some tracks mm-hmm. and um, famous people like Jimmy Rogers, uh, the Carter family, um, their careers, all, uh, that was the birth of their careers and created really a, this family tree of musicians today, um, what is now modern country. And Johnny Cash went on record. I think he said it was the big bang of modern country. Wow. And so 1927 is a celebration of that. So it applies to our history, mm-hmm. our heritage, and also our, our musical culture and yeah. new origins. That's cool. So I love it that when people ask the question because I can tell them something. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people were born and bred here who didn't know that. Right. But, but it kind of clicks. Like, right. oh, wait, I was in Bristol. I saw that sign, you know, yeah. or something clicks. But um, so, so who is it within the company that comes up with, I mean, you know, associating it with Tennessee, not just, hey, let's just make a beer, but let's make a beer, but let's incorporate some history and culture and marketing. And you know what I mean? Like who does... Who do, do you have somebody inside that does it, or do y'all have? I mean, I'd be crazy to say it was one person. I mean, it's okay. it's it's the committee. It's amazing, yeah. you know, how we could struggle with trying to bring something together for months and months, or or somebody just walks in and goes, "Hey, mm-hmm. boom!" and there's the idea. Yes. you know, yeah. Um, the, the the truth be told, the name 1927 existed before the beer did, mm-hmm. and we love that story, and we hung on to that name until we had the right beer. Yeah, and that beer actually um, was the first beer brewed by us when the law changed in 2017. We were able to brew uh, higher alcohol beer for the first time and not have to get a distiller's license to do it. Okay. So the law used to be, and the law was written by alcohol by weight. We always talk about alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. Alcohol by volume was approximately six and a quarter percent legal limit. Anything below was beer. Anything above it was a spirit. Okay. And when the law changed, it converted to like 10.1%. Anything below is beer. Anything above it was spirits. So this was the first beer we brewed under the new law, the Big Bang of Craft Beer yeah. in Tennessee. And uh, and we thought this was the perfect name for it. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, just as I think, I don't know if I said it before, but that's kind of the cool thing is to think, it's just like you listen to a, a song and you know there's a story that guy was telling you about that has all the number ones. I listened to him and some other artists and... I don't listen to a whole lot of country, but hearing them and hearing them share the story behind each of the songs, like it just puts so much more meaning into it. You know, it's like, man, I'm going to start listening to more country. So it's really cool because, I mean, how many people, you know, have a beer and think about the name and the story behind it, you know? So, well, this, this was just the culmination of so many things for us. Yeah. Like our head brewer, you know, we felt we couldn't make a proper IPA with the laws, you know, mm. um, we had to kind of subdue it. And he, he basically said, this is the beer he always wanted to brew. And he's been brewing professionally for like really? 24 years now. He came out of the Army Rangers, Gulf was War. Was he the one that was in there now? Or who was that he, one? The, he was in there. I don't know if you uh, met the him. The head brewer? I didn't meet him, but. Well, he was the one on the computer. In the, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's right there. Yeah, he he's amazing, dude. He uh, um, I always say he's forgotten more about brewing than I know. Yeah. And um, 
<clears throat> taught me taught me a lot of things and, and a lot of things man I was doing wrong and yeah you know just different way of thinking and he's you know he's got it right and he came from again he was an army ranger uh-huh. and he uh, kind of applies that to what he does in, in brewing and man you really do have to be meticulous I describe brewing as you have to be you have to be able to bake. Uh-huh. You have to be meticulous about it. You know, that bread needs to rise, you know. Mm. Or you can be a, you have to be a, a chef, a little bit of this, a little bit of that to make it taste good. And he really is both. And, yeah. And he can cook well, too. And so when he says, yeah, this is everything I ever wanted in a beer, you get excited. That's really cool, yeah. Tropical, I mean, it really is so yeah. much to think about in a beer, like, really. Yeah, tropical right. citrus. Yeah, it's dank, really. A little bit dank. See, I like you know? the I like the, the citrus because there, um, there was another beer that actually – I stumbled upon when I was um, rehabbing a camper and it had this little, you know, it was hoppy at the end, but it had a little citrus bite to it. And I was like really smooth. And I have to say, I think this one beats that one. Not I think it does. And I'm not saying that because you're sitting here, but when I had it in there, I was like, this is smooth and it just enough hops, you know? Nice. Uh, it's a fun beer. All right. So when you think about sipping on your favorite beer with some people that have had a big impact in your life, who comes to mind? that you would want to hang out with and tell them thanks for making a positive impact in your life. Oh, man. <laughs> Beyond the people I've already mentioned? Well, yeah. I mean, you can read re- yeah, definitely. My mom parents. and dad are easy. And, yes. my, and, and, and uh, my buddy Craig yeah. definitely gets some kudos. Um, I got to think about beyond, beyond them. Um, I have this group of guys that I grew up with that, you know, you have those friends who you know, a little time can pass and, mm-hmm. and you know, you can talk at all and you, you catch up and you're best friends still. Yep. And uh, I got this group of guys and we've been making an effort lately to get together once a year. But there's this guy, Brent, his name Brent Lehman. He uh, grew up in Maryland with me and uh, he ended up going to New York as well. We actually sat next together, next to, sat together um, on the trading floor mm. at a bank at one point. I mean, we were trying to work together too, but it was amazing that we actually pulled that off. But you know, he he was definitely there. I mean, I moved up to New York City. I didn't know a single person there working in finance and so forth. And he came up there, too. And, man, he made life a lot easier. Yeah. And um, we battled that journey together. So <clears throat> so every once in a while, I think about that. And I'll just give him a random call. And I get him from him, too. So. Right, right. So if I, if I, beyond the guys I've mentioned, you know, I think about Brent once in a while. And I'd raise yeah. a class to him. Yeah, that's you know, cool. Because, yeah. Yeah, it makes you think about um, having having somebody there with you when you're when you're doing something new or challenging. You know, oh, yeah. to have there to lean on. So yeah. yeah. All right. So shout out to uh, one of your favorite restaurants and favorite nonprofits and why? Oh man, <laughs> we work with a lot. I feel I like if I, I like, know, that's if I, uh, you know, it's like I mean, uh, okay, not your favorite, but what's one that yeah pops in your head or a couple or whatever. <laughs> oh man, um, I mean, I just went over uh, Austin Ray's place, the ML Rose, on eighth for his ten year anniversary, literally a couple nights ago, and uh, he did a good job of early in the early stages of helping us. Mm-hmm. Actually, determine which beers we're going to release. So we had like fifteen homebrews, and you can't open up and say hey, we have fifteen beers, and you know, it's too much, too confusing. And we want to narrow it down to like five. Mm-hmm. And Austin had ML Rose, which was kind of the only game in town back then that was truly dedicated to craft beer. Um, I mean, yeah, right, craft brewed opened up right up the street, mm-hmm. um, but that was long after ML Rose did, and and. Uh, and they were open before we before we opened. That's why I mentioned it. But Austin, um, 
uh, Emma and Emma Rose guided us to uh, release the Southern Wit, which is now our bestseller. Mm. And we weren't even considering releasing that beer at all. And Austin's like, man, are you crazy? This beer is great. And we're like, well, it's a Belgium white. And, you know, everyone's drinking Blue Moon and we're just going to get destroyed. And right. he's like, no, it is totally different than Blue Moon. It's a lot more elegant. It's got some really nice stuff. And he went on to explain it. And he said, and I'll put it in my place. And trust me, you'll do great. That's awesome. And we ended up going from not including it to including it. And it's our best-selling beer today. Yeah. Yeah, it's like thirty percent of our sales. Yeah, well, that's so funny you say that because interviewing uh, Stephen Rose with the Peach Truck, mm -hmm. like when I asked him the same question, and I was thinking the same thing because he has his, you know, peaches in different restaurants and stuff. But um, City House was the first ones that gave them kind of opened the door and yeah. let them experience it. So yeah, I mean, it kind of makes you think about like businesses out there, like give people a chance because you definitely could stay on their top of their radar for a while. And know? he had a good cheeseburger. Yeah. So when we were naturally hanging out anyway, hanging over yeah. there anyway, so to have his audience and his feedback yeah, was a real compliment at the time. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate that. Which I love the fact, too, um, you had said earlier how, you know, you can sit down and you can get one nugget from somebody, you know, about, all right, so we are in the camper, so we got something going on. And I got to drive in that here in a little bit. Um <laughs> But how, you know, you sit down with your team and somebody walk in and go, hey, here's an idea for marketing, you know. It's um, kind of the same thing, you know, with a restaurant. Being open to saying, hey, we have this and asking for feedback and input. And you got one person that, you know, you were like, ah, let's not do that. But then they encourage you, you trusted them, and here you go. It's one of your best-selling beers. So pretty cool to, you know, make sure you're open to others. So that's that would be my restaurant story. I mean, he, yeah. it was the first place we delivered it where we delivered a keg. When we opened, um, so definitely owe him a lot, and, and that restaurant specifically on Eighth mm -hmm. Avenue, him yeah. was there. Um, the charity side, I actually that's probably even harder. Um, I, but but I guess if I were to pick one, um, you know, the least controversial, you know, it would be the State Parks Conservancy. Okay, that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, the guy running the Tennessee State Parks is a guy named Brock Hill, and he is dare I say progressive. You know, think about it. He um, not only has uh, the state parks just been improving, the beautification mm -hmm. has been amazing, and and I think we got a pretty incredible thing going on there. But it's the thinking by someone like him that you know that asks the brewery to make a craft beer and donate a pro the set of, you know the proceeds a portion of proceeds to it that has gotten them to that place, right. has gotten those parks to that place. And in a state like Tennessee, which is a little bit more conservative, truly, um, that that's an amazing feat. But what he recognized was craft beer was was you know on the rise. It's, mm -hmm. Like I said, one of the biggest growing industries, in the, the biggest growing industry in the state, popular. And he wanted to combine that popularity with his efforts. And everyone loves the parks, and they want yeah. to support the parks. What and a great you know combination! You're a, you know, you're gonna have a beer in a park. I mean, in most cases, you know. Why not embrace it and right. keep it responsible? Right. And uh, so that's been amazing. And to think that when we're all done, you know, we're making a living, selling our beer. Supporting a cause we believe in, and actually writing a check that's being used for something good. Right. Um, it's a great, great combination, and and I'm not gonna lie, Miss. You know, we're we're proud of the yeah. historical nature of it too. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, all right. So, why'd you pursue a career in craft beer? Momentary insanity. <laughs> no. I mean, it's a lifestyle choice. It's it's not even a career move. It's just a lifestyle choice. Um, I went from wearing a tie, suit and tie every day 
um, to, you can see how I'm dressed right now, mm -hmm. you know, wearing my REI pants and, and I changed out of my boots into, into shoe, you know, tennis shoes. But mm -hmm. I mean, you get the point. It's just, right. it's like a lifestyle choice. Um, the hours are just as bad actually, maybe a little more physical now, certainly. Right. Um, I would say the, the mental, the mental capacity needs to be wider. You know, in my old life, it's a lot more focused, mm -hmm. certainly challenging, but here, you're working on the website, you're working on a sales presentation, you're figuring out something to do with the brew system. And, you know, I mean, it's really, yeah, it's hospitality, there's manufacturing, there's, there's everything, marketing, right. it's, it's all these different things. And that's what I wanted out of my life. I wanted to be challenged on all fronts. And, and uh, you know, the problem is, you know, people tell you when you have your own business, well, you can set your own hours and it's great, you know. And uh, the reality is you find something you love and the challenge is you're probably working harder at it because you love it. Right. The, the passion draws you in. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you really you're really excited. And, you know, sometimes you're staying up at night because you're stressed, but sometimes you're staying up at night because you're excited. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is a weird thing to have sleep deprivation out of excitement. But it happens, mm -hmm. you know, and um, like I said, super challenging. But I've never been so excited. What, what what got you into the out of finance? Well, like you just all of a sudden were like, hey, let's make some beer. Well, it started as a lifestyle choice. Okay. So you know, actually, a buddy of mine and I, and he was he was homebrewing a lot, okay. and he's the one who introduced me to it. And we were sitting around and doing a homebrew sessions, and we actually used to brainstorm about what we'd do next. You know, what you know, if we were the entrepreneurs, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. And Since we your dad did it. Yep. Maybe I didn't right. make that link back then. I'm sure right. there's some, you know, subconscious. Right, it, it, it was in know. there. Yeah. But anyway, we kept coming up with all these different ideas of things we we're going to do. There's a couple of good ideas that we didn't use, and and uh, it was funny. We were always homebrewing while we we're coming up with these ideas. And one day I was driving back to Charlotte because I was we were doing this in Nashville, and and I'd come here a lot. And I was driving back to Charlotte, and I'm like. Why aren't we brewing for a living? What the heck? I mean, that's like our relaxing thing that we're doing while we're thinking up these ideas. Right. I'm like, we're doing it because there is no beer that we can buy. I mean, Yazoo did exist, you yes. know, at the time, but there's literally our only option, and um, we're appreciative that they existed, mm -hmm. but um, but that was the only option, and um, and and so we're home brewing at a need, um, and we're also doing it because it's relaxing and it's you know it's it's a good day. And we're using it to be meditative and think about new ideas. Mm -hmm. And why the hell did we not put two and two together and decide to do brewing? Right. And so it happened when I was, I was, you know, literally driving through the Asheville area on the way back to Charlotte. And by the time I got home, I punched up the computer and started buying the domain names. Really? Because <laughs> well, all the beers we brew, you know, we were doing stuff by grabbing stuff from the farmer's market uh -huh. and kind of creating these really indigenous beers, you know, yeah. that were from here. And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, well, we're brewing Tennessee stuff. You know, right. It's all made from Tennessee, so how about Tennessee Tennessee Brewing you know, uh -huh. or whatever? And I, there was a Tennessee Brewing Company that went defunct in, like, 1953. And I'm like, God, I don't want to touch that. And by the way, maybe we'll do more than beer. Maybe right. we'll do cider. Maybe we'll do soda. You know, So um, Tennessee Brew works. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and that's where it, it came from. It works well, right? Yeah, and it, we own like 300, almost 400 domains. Are you serious? Yeah, because no one had any of that stuff back then. So we have TN Beer, TN oh, right, Beers, right, TN right. Brew.com.com, you know. Um, we have these amazing domains. I names. just let go of two domains yesterday. Yeah. yeah, this morning I was like, yeah, I won't use those. So, uh, yeah. We own, a, but we own, because you can't, you can't trademark the word Tennessee. Right. So the best way to protect the trademark is own all the domains that touch it. So you can own that name, but yeah. you can use the name, but you and can't you have can a re- website. You can resell it at some point too, if you have 300 well, domains. I was it. just saying, you, 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 but if somebody else decided to replicate our business name, they, you right. know, they won't have a website. Cause right. you know, and so we just try to protect ourselves that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. But anyway, I love it. Um, it, which is really funny because as you're as you're talking about just hanging out with your buddy and brewing and relaxing, it it again the whole tie back to music and the stories within that, you know. And I always think that they're just sitting in a room bouncing ideas off, you know. It's like that's the same thing that, that, that can go into coming up with a beer, you know. All right, so share with the audience the process of crafting the perfect beer. Also, give me a highlight in the difference in craft beers such as IPA, porters, ales, and such. Well, before we get into that, yes. I used to use an excuse to break open a bottle. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a you. I love that. I love the marketing. I mean, the labels and logos. And stuff. Our artist really? is on our street. He's really? you know, a couple doors down from where we're sitting right okay. the second. Um, a guy named Bryce McLeod, Isle Printing. Um, That's cool. He's uh, letterpress really trained. Neat. He trained at Hat Show Print. Do y'all sell like cards like this? Um, we sell the posters and we, okay. we got everything. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to decorate my house with some of his proprietary work. He does a lot of uh, label work for Jack White. And okay. Third Man Records is literally right there. And go to Pinewood Social or Sydney Winery. Mm-hmm. That's that's him. Um, you're drinking a big boy. Um, this is uh, mm. this is a Belgian style quad. Okay. That's actually George Dickel's face. Okay. So um, George Dickel gave us permission to redraw his face, and Bryce did that. And uh, we actually aged uh, the Belgian quad, which is rocking a good ten percent. And oh, wow, okay, and that's jo- why it's the big boy. I thought just because it was a big bottle, it's that too. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's aged in George Dickel number twelve whiskey barrels. Hmm. So uh, tie that into answering your question, yes. at least in part. Um, we decided that after trying all the different George Dickels, we thought the number twelve was. Uh, really good um, and frankly probably underrated for whatever reason we thought that really nicely paired also with the Belgian yeast so that's why we went to the Belgian quad mm-hmm. and so it was actually a pairing of their yeasts their yeast to our yeast and um, we thought that uh, would work really well and then you needed something that was big that was going to stand up to the whiskey and you got to remember we're getting these right from cascade hollow and this is a tennessee iconic brand they've been around since 1870. Wow. as far as i know we're the first brewery to ever directly partner with them on anything okay. and they actually drove the first year this is the second year we did it uh, the first year they packaged up 20 barrels of whiskey and and took the barrels put them on the back of a trailer and drove them straight here I mean, showing up in our brewery, our place smelled like a distillery. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Is that what all? What is that? What all the barrels are back there, or is that just? It's is a combination. Beer? Okay. Yeah, it's a combination. So you've got some of the whiskey barrels, and there's also some wine barrels back okay. there too. So we've been working with Pina Noir barrels from the city winery, who make their wine right here in town. The the Pina Noir barrels that are back there are the first. It's the first wine ever created in Nashville proper. Okay. And. uh so there's, you know, you see the tie-in, you know, yeah, just, yeah. just kind of celebrating things that right, happen here. Right. 
But anyway, um, so we, we sat around and tried to talk about something that, you know, what would be the right way to celebrate this combination of this iconic brand like George Dickel. And we're young, but you can see what our mission is and our right. purpose. And so TNN is kind of the old school way of abbreviating Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And the number 12 is a, is a reference to what George Dickel, you know, calls their, that whiskey, okay. that, that whiskey. And then, um, and then of course the dream was to have George Dickel's face actually drawn and put on our label. We, we didn't think that was going to be possible. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, we convinced the right person over, over there and they gave us permission. So, um, that process included hanging out with folks at their distillery, um, spending a lot of time with them and <laughs> it spent some time with their legal teams yeah. as well. So it's, it's not all art, you know, right. there's a lot of business going yeah. on there too. Yeah. But the end result was we had this great marriage of these two brands and, um, and I, and I think, and I got to credit Matt, our, Matt Simpson, our head brewer with this, mm-hmm. he really picked, in my opinion, the right yeast strains to work together. So they work together with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think and I like quads anyway, so I'm a little biased, but I okay. think the, the fruitiness that you get from the quad, the fig. Now, define quad. Uh, it's a quadruple. Okay. It's a Belgian-style quadruple, yeah. And, and, uh, and some of this is defined by um, the yeast strain that we're using as well. And you notice I keep saying style yeah. every time. Um, <clears throat> if Unless it's actually made in Belgium, you have okay. to put that on there. Okay. Or the Tax and Trade gotcha. Bureau right, like, right. makes you do that. Well, but, so, all right, so I get quad, but even to define quadruple, like, is that, what does that mean? Um, you know, I, I would I would say, you know, for simple simplicity, the, you know, you got, a, they got the double, you got the triple and the quadruple. And that's kind of comes from historical references from the Trappist monks and how they would basically state, you know, the level. I mean, okay. you could have, I mean, you, let's say a triple can go up to like 9%, a quad okay. can go even bigger than that, okay. but also defines a character um, in the beer as well. So like um, a triple tends to be more vanilla, you get more um, biscuit, wafer and so forth, where the quad quadruple, you tend to get more. Uh, fruitiness, stone fruit, more, you know, I get plum and pear mm-hmm. and fig. Um, so it's kind of defining characteristics too. Yeah. So as you're talking, literally my mind, it's just kind of blown away with the amount of details, which, so do you think like all breweries are in this depth of pairing and thought process, you know, like that you guys are? Yeah, I okay. do. Really? I do. I, I think that, um, I think that it becomes an obsession for yeah. anybody who's involved. And I think that you could walk into the smallest brewery and the person back there is extremely well read on the topics. Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, um, I think that some of the things that define the differences between breweries are sometimes their business mm-hmm. background. Right. You know, right. I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time. Um, I couldn't do this without Matt. I don't think Matt could do this without me. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do this without Thomas, who's our head of sales. We couldn't do this without Jason, who runs our tasting room, because that's a restaurant. You know, everyone's skill comes into play, but you know, art alone will not achieve, right? You know, the life, the life ambitions that we have, and you know, business drive won't do it either. Right. You know, you have to have this marriage between all these different things. And Definitely. So, but in terms of being well read, I, I think you can walk into most breweries and. 
and no matter how big or small, and yeah. they're extremely shockingly knowledgeable, but yeah. it's because of the passion and like right. I said, the obsession. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, so what are a few struggles you would share in, um, you can add your personal life or in business, and how'd you overcome it? You know, um, we had some people with us early on, you know, um, who dropped out, and I think that was sad and unfortunate, but I also understand mm-hmm. it is, this is definitely not for everybody. I think that this, I, the, one of the biggest challenges is um, time. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have to go all in. And, and, you know, I could say I was prepared, but you really don't even know what that means until you experience it. And and I feel like I'm speaking on behalf of everybody who's gone this route, um, certainly in our industry. But you have to go all in. You have to be willing to risk it all. And you have to decide what that's for because it's not for money. Mm-hmm. And your goal is just to make a living and keep doing it. Right. And uh, and I and I think the challenge is trying to do that and balance personal life. And I frankly haven't figured that out. <laughs> you know, my biggest goal in my personal life right now is to make sure my dog's taken care of. Right. Right. I mean, that's that's where it is. And you have to be so involved. People, people say, what kind of hours you work? And I'm like, I don't actually know. Because right. tonight I'll go home. I'll have a bite. I'll try to take a little nap, and once I feel rested, I will start again. Yeah. And I promise you, there's somebody at the company who's doing it right. as well. There will always be someone for me to talk to at the company if I want to bounce an idea off because somebody's always here. I mean, yeah. I know our head brewer will be here tomorrow morning. It's Saturday. Yeah. Because he's going to work Which on Which I do stuff. tours on Saturday and Sunday, right? We do, yeah, but he, he won't be giving the right. tour. He's coming in to work on to, some recipe ideas. Yeah. You yeah. Know? That's and, crazy. And so those are the challenges, but also, like I said, Sometimes you're sleep deprived, right. sleep deprived out of excitement. Right. All right. So a few questions that pertain to being an entrepreneur and one being most entrepreneurs deal with the shiny object syndrome. How do you stay focused on what you know is important, but also being willing to take on new challenges? Well, I think the f- figuring out what's important um, is an ongoing challenge. Um, you I like to think my life experiences have taught me a few things about that, mm-hmm. but um, I think you better always be open-minded about the possibility that you're not exactly correct and um, you know willing to adapt. So, yeah, to your first part of your question, figuring out what's important and holding the line. To some degree, you need to be open-minded about the possibilities, and to some other degree, you also need to figure out you know where you're. Um, your ethics are where your code is and you also need to stand behind it too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because i feel like that's challenged a lot and um but i it's you, know, you ever play soccer you know um enough yeah i know enough about it when you're dribbling the ball and someone comes up and trying to get it from you you're supposed to follow through the ball and somehow if you do that correctly you pop out the other side and you still have the ball mm-hmm. you know i think about that as like an example of you know, how you stand by your code and, and proceed despite all the things that are being thrown your way that might steer you off that path. And it's really interesting that if you do that correctly and uh, you'll see people around you start to do it too. Mm-hmm. And they start to validate it more and more. So, right. like I said, you have to be open-minded about the possibilities and being able to tweak, but at the same time, you need to have that code and stay centered to it. Right, right. And There's so, always somebody watching you, right? Yeah, there was a second part of that question, I think. Um, let's see how. Yeah, how do you stay focused on what's important, but also be be willing to take on new challenges? 
The take on new challenges is one of the things that we have here all the time. And I've made a joke earlier. I have silent partners that aren't really that silent. Right. Everyone's got some great ideas. I mean, there's some amazing ideas. And if you, you know, you walk through our place, you can mm-hmm. see the potential of so many things we can do beyond what we're doing now. But execution is so important. Everyone's got a great idea. Mm-hmm. Executing that is everything. So that's something we're always working on to take a great idea, put it down on the list, talk it through, but also consider the reality of execution right. and how that'll look. And often it's more of a patience thing. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to do it tomorrow. Like patience, let's do it carefully, right. you know, let's do it slowly and meticulously. Yeah. 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 I'm sitting there going, uh huh, uh huh, because yeah, often like I've come up with great ideas. I'm in a mastermind group that's always bouncing. You're hearing this and that, and you know, you can read books. I mean, there's so much out there to just create the, you know, the entrepreneur mind. And then it's like, hold on, no, you know what? Let's just park. I have, I have 10 over here. I'm not even doing that are like so good, you know? So how do you execution is the biggest thing, you know, for sure. Half finished. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Half finished ideas everywhere is is no place to be. No, it's not. And uh, and it starts off as a really cool idea, and then you start getting into the execution, and it's not as cool anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not when you move to the next thing. You need to follow through. Right. Right. And um, and and see it through. And and I see a lot of people kind of not do that a little bit. You know. And also, I. It's my way of handling all these wonderful ideas and not dismissing them. Right. But creating a process around consideration and execution. Right. right. All right. So if you could sit down and have um, a man-to-man talk with your 20-year-old self, what words of wisdom would you impart regarding business or even parenting? You know, obviously I don't have kids, but you were a kid. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I've not, I, I haven't quite thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I wouldn't trade in my mistakes either. Um, I'm, you know, I think people's head with a question like that, your head will naturally go to, well, I'd keep you from making a certain mistake. But right, right. But you know, we were talking earlier, and I was, and I said, you know, I think my mistakes are my strength. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't trade them in. I've done some dumb things, man. Um, but that's why I'm not doing them now. Right. You know. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I would just, I think it'd be a lot simpler. I'd tell my 20-year-old self, hang in there, man. Right. It's going to work out. Right. I love it. I mean, that's so true. Like, sometimes I look back in even my college days and different experiences, and, um, you know, I could I can reminisce, and my wife would be like, oh, God, don't say that. But I'm like, but that's kind of who I am. That kind of, that's how I evolve. So yeah. I like that. I like that idea that, sure, you could, somebody might think, oh, my God, why'd you do that? But you're like... Well, look at who I am now, and that was part of me evolving to who I am, the experiences of life, you know? So yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. I like that answer. All right, so from the great words of Paul and Timothy 4-7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. When your journey is over, what kind of legacy are you hoping to leave? Um, Legacy is probably not the right word, and I think I want to look back and be proud of, you know, Maybe my time on this earth was uh, not a waste of space, mm-hmm. you know. And um, yeah, I guess we all want to be thought of well. Um, but uh, even then, I think it'd be more pride and maybe have accomplished something with the time spent here, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and there was, and I hope hopefully I'm doing it by clinking some drinks with some good friends of mine who 
we survived the journey together and remained good friends and, yeah. and so forth. And I will say this, I'm very fortunate. I got some, I got some friends mm-hmm. that are in the background who don't get mentioned, who right. really, really been awesome. I think I have some uniquely awesome relationships mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. So, which I think that speaks into a lot of, you know, some of the stuff of fears and struggles and, you know, just going through life. It's having that support system, having those people that, you can call and have a 30-minute conversation and walk away with some encouragement, maybe a new idea, you know, something that kind of spurs you on to keep, you know, moving forward to, to create that, you know, legacy, you know, yeah. or that accomplishment, that accomplished life, you know, so. I think if we look back on, as it pertains to Tennessee Brew Works, I think if we look back and we see, this is going to sound so boring and nerdy, but if we see barley as a cash crop, mm-hmm. a major cash crop in Tennessee, how amazing would that be? Yeah. And maybe our names wouldn't be attached to it, but we would know that we were there at the beginning when that happens. And uh, and that could have theoretically changed the lives of a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Again, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of blown away, you know, just hearing all this about the details and the in-depth into coming up with a beer, you know. It, it To me, it makes it even more exciting to go support a local brewery, you yeah. know. And, it's and not just ask us. The questions. I mean, you're yeah, just no, our story. Saying, There's a, but, a lot of people out here who have similar yeah, thoughts and right. and so forth. But, I mean, you saw the high fives and so yeah. forth going on in there with the staff. They're, they're excited about what's happening here. Yep. All right. So this will be um, a little side thing I do. The National Real Estate Minute or few. So I ask you a couple quick questions, sure, and you answer them as quickly as you can. Oh boy! All right. So how long have you lived in Nashville? I moved here officially in 2011. Bought a house in 2012. Okay. So, and well, he bought at a on, great time. Going on <laughs> seven years soon. All right. So what made you choose Nashville? Uh, my friends. Yeah, I was looking for a place to plant my flag permanently. I'd done a lot of world traveling for mm-hmm. a long time, and and uh, I wanted home. I wanted to make home. And so Nashville wasn't its city yet. Right. It was close. That came later, though. It was That was lucky, and I'll take it, But yes. um, for somebody opening a business. But, you know, um, you know, this Craig Freiberg's my best friend, and yeah. college roommate lives right down the street from me in Oak Hill. Yeah. So, That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so what community did you land in, and why did you pick that location? Well, I moved to Oak Hill originally, right. which is, was right down the street from my best friend, and, and you know, he's my p- solid partner in the brewery. And it's, like I said, there's a few others, too. I will admit, though, I did move to East Nashville later. You know, he's got the big old family and so forth, and it's definitely more family-minded community. Not that East Nashville's not, but I was looking f- for a little bit of different flavor, probably. And mm-hmm. um, I, I live in near the Air Park in East Nashville, and I absolutely love it. So Oak Hill is great. East Nashville is definitely more my style at the moment, right. this moment in my life. Right. And uh, it, that's just an awesome neighborhood. I'm, I can't say enough about East Nashville. Cool. All right. So uh, tell me one great memory um, that you often share about Nashville. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I have too many stories. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll just I'll just relate it back to the business, and it's it's dumb, but it was just a it's a moment. And you got to remember, I spent my twenties in New York City, you yeah. know, and I I got a really cool story about how I had I ended up drinking with uh, Guinness with the drummer from U two for an mm. hour before I realized it was him, you know. But but I was uh, over at Bridgestone Arena. Um, a friend of mine was doing green room over there for the Kelly Clarkson Christmas Spectacular or Christmas uh, Miracles, what's mm-hmm. called. And uh, 
I got to serve Southern Wit, the Reba McIntyre, multiple times. She kept coming back. Nice, <laughs> nice. And uh, I don't know, man. That was a starstruck moment. I, right. And I just don't get starstruck. Right, right, right. And that was an exception, man. And not just an exception, but she's someone who has high values. She's legendary. She's uh, super talented. And she was drinking something I was part of creating. And she mm. kept coming back. And she kept asking for half pours. And I made a joke. And I was like, you know, I can give you a full pour. I won't tell anybody. And she said, young man, I will take a half pour. And I was like, oh, I got reprimanded by Reba. <laughs> Awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I, lo I like. She wouldn't even remember that, but right? It, you know how it is, right? Made every it's made my made my year. I like that. How I, I think I would think like you. Like I I would say that I don't get starstruck, but there are certain people that you have a lot of respect for and stuff that you would still. It's hard to not get you know starstruck. Yeah, that's like. Yeah, so that's an amazing one. What do you look for in a good real estate agent? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of friends in real estate. <laughs> so you can't drop any names. Oh, I can't drop any. Yeah, okay. Um, what do you What do you like about them? Uh, well, my, I mean, we own this building mm -hmm. here, you know, and uh, you know, I, I like I like when people are able to see the bones, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, a lot of people will forego a place because of the paint job. I want the real estate agent who can see that the structure is good. Right. Paint jobs cheap. Right. Find something really good and also have some foresight on neighborhoods. That's obviously pretty yeah. huge. You know, because you don't want somebody taking their agenda and pushing it on you. Right. They want to spend time with you. And I have a real estate agent from Charlotte. I haven't lived there in seven years. He still checks in on me. Mm-hmm. That kind of transcended the work relationship. Right. You're telling me I'm not going to recommend somebody to him when they right. move into Charlotte. I will swear up and down by him. Mm -hmm. and I won't say his name. <laughs> no, you can say his name, but Tracy no, I, I like that. I like that. I like that. That's awesome because because even like as I'm reaching out to past clients that I looked at my database, I got 20 or 30 that are out of state. And I think, well, should I spend the time? But that right there just confirms, yeah, you never know. You right? never know. And I'm and I I'm I am a connector. Yeah. And I still have friends. I went to Chapel Hill. I got a lot of friends in Charlotte. Yeah. So uh, And you still go back there, right? Because you love the you love Duke, right? Uh, uh, that's just, <laughs> just kidding. I did go back for the Clemson Carolina game a couple years ago uh, and yeah. uh, watched Carolina get trounced. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. All right, so what advice would you give to someone looking to move to Nashville? You know, I think uh, first of all, I think this this is this is where it's at. You know, I, I've spent some time in some burgeoning cities. You know, and Charlotte was one of them, man. But I, I, I think as much as I, I thought Charlotte was beautiful, but Nashville has got all the beauty of Charlotte, but um, a lot more artistry to it mm. as well. And you know, I would certainly direct people to East Nashville all day, every day, because I think that's a wonderful place to live. And I even think if you have a family now, mm -hmm. that's a place to strongly con consider. Um, I do, you know, I do need to warn people about the damn traffic here. Pardon, mm -hmm. for, pardon my French. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, <clears throat> as you know, having some friends who lived in Atlanta mm -hmm. and even remembering just loosely how Atlanta was in the 90s and how that changed after the Olympics. Um you know, you're seeing some of those uh, comparisons with Nashville now, too. So be prepared. And that being said, you know, whether you have a view on markets or real estate or anything like that. Right. Lock it in, man. 
now. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's coming. I mean, there's someone else coming every day. You better, you better lock it in. I got Stop, don't speculate. I got a guy who don't time. He, he <laughs> he's he's renting, but he wants to buy. And he he asked the question. He's like, yeah, and he says something about you know rates possibly coming down in a year and a half. And I thought he had talked to a, a lender. I'm like, and I'm thinking. Wow, I'm I'm surprised that the lender would say that. Well, no, he just kind of speculated. And I'm thinking, no, there's no magic eight ball on rates or houses. And it's like, yeah, it's like, man, if you want to buy, you should buy now. And not even down. from a pressure standpoint, you know. So where can, I, where can the audience connect with you? Where can they come and try these brews? Where can they find them? You know, like. We're all over the state. Yeah. Um, we, um, a little more limited in Memphis, but that's. That's changing. We're starting to get involved in Memphis a little bit more. East Tennessee, certainly. Knoxville, Chattanooga is wonderful. Um, all over Nashville. Um, you could actually get us. Um, the Grand Ole Opry now and the Ryman's got us. Uh, if you're even coming in and out of Nashville and you're taking uh, any plane that's going through the AB okay. concourse, we have a kiosk set up right in the middle of the hallway. Nice. You can take your beer with you to your gate. Awesome. To get a draft pour and take it anywhere you want. Um, we actually created this thing called Flight Packs, and they will wrap up a six pack for you. And you could take it to Maine or California or wherever you're going with you. You'd take a six pack with you if you want to gift it. So that's kind of a unique and cool thing. Yeah. Obviously, you can come to our tap room anytime. All you of got our beers live available. Music. Live music, six days a Great week. Great food, obviously, Thank you. as you yeah. said. And, um, you can take kegs to go. You can take beers to go. You got crowlers. We can put them in little thirty-two ounce cans for you. To Pony take. kegs. Uh, well, yeah, we got. Oh, you did. Yeah, the, 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 the that was the college thing. Well, they're 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 uh, five point one six gallons. So okay. Little, pony kegs are like five. You know. Was that the round ones? They're yeah. They're, they're round. They're, they're no, tiny. Those were party balls, weren't they? Oh, you're talking about like Coors Light party ball. Yeah. Is that was it? Was it only Coors Light that did? How old are you? Graduated and I was in college in '97. So yeah, so you got yeah, yes. you, you know the party oh, yeah, we would, we would they would sneak him in through the dorm windows. Yeah, so, yeah, and they put it in the tub with the ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So we, we don't sell party balls, um, <laughs> but you know you can give the six packs. We got the the thing we're trying right now, which is a 22 ounce. Okay, um, those, those are more limited. Do they come with a brown bag? Um, you can, you, can, <laughs> you, roll you, can, you can request one. Um, we take requests, but uh, yeah, we're in most of the major retailers yeah. throughout the uh, certainly Middle Tennessee, Clarksville, Cookville, mm -hmm. Chattanooga. You'll see us Tullahoma, yeah, um, all over Knoxville, and even a little bit in Tri Cities too. So yeah, well, I, lo I love hearing all the, the that was the cool thing about interviewing Stephen Rose is the entrepreneur mind. Like you, obviously, surround yourself around self around some big thinkers because just with oh, yeah. airports and just everything you know you're not just logistics like, hey. is huge yeah, yeah. i mean thomas gingrich our head of sales he's a logistics master that's awesome. you know and again this guy unsung hero you know yeah won't get the praise you know they'll, they'll mention my name but right he caused it you know yeah. you know yeah. that, that happens a lot you know well man i appreciate your time christian yeah. we got a i think if you know who listens to this are going to be more educated than they would have ever dreamed about about um uh, beer Not we're manufacturers beer, yes we're manufacturers you know and we derive our product from agriculture and mm -hmm. the movement is to take that agriculture from our own tennessee farms and yeah and manufacturer is a serious, serious industry. It is a very serious business, mm -hmm. and it's very complicated, and it affects all of us financially, yes. whether we know it or not. Right. And if you buy from us, you are directly also contributing to your own community. Yeah. So 
That's awesome. Well, thanks again for your your time. Thanks, man. All right. Cheers. As you can tell, Christian and I had a great time hanging out in the Rambler. And I don't really think a whole lot more needs to be said. He said um, all there is to say about Craft Brewery, about Tennessee Brew Works, and um, a whole lot more. Had a great time. Looking forward, actually, to uh, hosting one of my first uh, real estate happy hours at their location the first quarter of uh, 2019. As far as the sponsors, if you have not picked up on it yet, I'm a realtor in the Nashville area with a focus on residential real estate and real estate investing. I'd be happy to help you with your real estate needs. You can also give Brandon Hutchison a call with the Legacy Mutual Mortgage for all of your lender needs and Limestone Title and Escrow for any title needs. Next week, make sure to tune in. I'll be hosting Corby Linker. He is an award-winning singer, songwriter, published author, creator, and star of a new scripted web series called Morse Code. He would define himself as an independent creative. He tours constantly and has shared the stage with Willie Nelson, Nickel Creek, and many more. So make sure to tune in to him. We had a great time. He uh, played a song, and actually um, one of his songs I put on a previous podcast. Um, I think it was episode 28. So make sure to tune in for that. And as always, thanks for tuning in to Nashville Untold. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the Nashville Untold podcast and feel free to share it via any social media. And if you're uh, if you're really up to it, um, drop me a review. I like uh, like checking those out. Make sure to check out the show notes and more details on Christian Spears and. Follow Tennessee Brew Works. Their tasting room is open Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 8 p.m. They're located at 809 Ewing Avenue in the heart of Music City. And as um, as he mentioned in the episode, they have a great burger. So they got some good food, great outside patio to hang out. So uh, make sure to come check them out when you're in Nashville. And now sit back, turn up the volume, take a listen to another song by Granville Automatic. So this uh, next song is the story of Captain Tom Ryman. He was a drinking, whoring steamboat captain on the Cumberland when he found Jesus and decided he needed to bring um, God to the people of Nashville. And he did that by building... um, the Union, the Gospel Union Tabernacle downtown on what was then Summer Street. Um, it is now the Ryman Auditorium. And um, in the 1970s, it was the home of the Grand Old Opry, but it started to fall into disrepair. And in 1974, a group of folks actually, um, surprisingly with people like Roy Acoff involved, decided it was time to tear it down and move everything out to Opryland. But at the very last minute with the wrecking ball literally next to the building, the group of preservationists and uh, folks like Emmy Lou Harris decided to save the building. And of course, today, I think it's a place where people are saved by music. It's an incredible concert venue. And I like to think that um, Tom Ryman would appreciate it. And uh, this is the story of the day the Ryman almost died. And it's about music for us is about um, both career and um, soul. So this is Radio Hymns. Shattered stained glass 
They said her best days had passed Half moon was shining Dust lit like diamonds Falling on old wooden floors Locked up the ghosts and the music And padlocked the doors And now I wander these halls Hear songs in these walls the old wrecking ball Stilled by God's mighty hand And as she rose from the ashes The hippies all sighed in amen Back through the static Live to UWSN The mother church singing again Electric redemption and sin And radio hymns Amen Stepped on the stage As I turned back the page June said a prayer, but a Johnny Dunn kicked out the lights. The whole world was listening, reaching through white noise and time. And as she rose from the ashes, the hippies all sighed and Live to WSN The mother church singing again Electric redemption and sin And radio hymns Raise one for them Sneaking Benny's engine Honky-tonk angels And rhinestones And unholy choirs Cowboys and Christians And unbroken circles on fire as she rose from the ashes, the hippies all sighed an amen. And back through the static, live to UWSN. The mother church singing again. Electric redemption and sin. And radio hands Amen Radio hands Radio hands Amen
We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time.